Tonight's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. There are only two man-made objects you can see from outer space. One is the Great Wall of China, the other is the Salton Sea. One is the result of the work of hundreds of thousands of laborers over 2,000 years, and the other is the result of a gigantic mistake. From space, it's hard to tell the monumental from the missteps. Even down here on Earth, it's not that easy. People have been building things and making stuff since we stumbled out of paradise. Our arduous foregoers built shelters, walls, tribes, and empires. They made roads, borders, grand structures, and some pretty big messes. All that eagerness to go forth and establish makes it hard to stop and consider how a venture might end up. With the benefit of history and its interpreters, we should have better insight into what makes the difference between creating a jewel in our crown or a bewildering catastrophe that threatens our existence. As early as the 7th century BCE, Chinese rulers began building the wall. These early sections of the wall were built using the rammed earth method, which is basically piling up a bunch of dirt in a stone form dampening it with water, adding a little lime, or animal blood, really animal blood, as a binder, and then ramming it down until it's half its original size, and then doing it again and again until the wall is tall enough to please whichever ruler is calling the shots. The greatest great wall-building ruler was Qin Shi Hongdi. I doubt I'm pronouncing that right. At age 13, he inherited the throne of the Western Chinese kingdom of Qin, 
The newly crowned teenager claimed to have a vision that he would bring power and glory to the name of Ken, like more greatness than anyone ever. And he would unite all of the warring kingdoms of China into one great country, the greatest country ever. Teenagers tend towards self-centered grandiosity. And if you're a teenage king, bragging that you're going to be the best king in the whole world and beat up every other king and take over every place in the whole world and make it one big super country seems like the kind of outrageous claim you might make. But Kin Shi Hongdi actually did it. 25 years later, Kin defeated the other six major kingdoms and for the first time unified China. His conquest, however, was about more than just individual power or bringing glory to his tribe. In the vision, he flew high into the sky, like outer space, and looking down, saw all the people of the warring kingdoms come together. Like looking at a map in a cartoon, he saw the borders of the seven kingdoms moving and merging together to form one border encompassing them all. For more than 250 years, the states had been at war over territorial disputes, draining their wealth and limiting their prosperity. Kin saw that as one great state under his flag, China and her people could prosper. He could build something the world had never seen. After declaring himself China's first emperor, literally what Kin Shi Hongdi means, he became obsessed with unity at every level. He combined the seven different forms of the written language into one official version. He standardized weights and measurements and wrote laws dictating the one right way to do everything, whether you were killing a pigeon, buying rice, or losing your virginity. He made the writers of Leviticus look like slackers. To encourage trade and cultural exchange between the former states, he built a network of roads connecting every part of the new empire and called for massive building projects employing millions of peasants. He wanted his people to be happy and united, insisting that everything should be the same everywhere. And to protect his glorious unified empire, he embarked on the largest public works program the world would ever know. Hovering in space in his vision, Kin not only saw the warring states become one, but saw its future secured by a great wall, traversing its entire northern border, shielding it from outside invaders. Kin linked together existing walls built by the feudal kings and extended it from several hundred miles to over 3,000, completing it in just 15 years. And then he died. Kin's Great Wall was an unprecedented feat of engineering and imperial vision. But as a barrier to keep out the northern hordes, it wasn't very successful. As impressive as the Great Wall of China continues to be as a really big structure people made, it never worked very well as an actual wall. There weren't enough soldiers in China to man the wall, and what guards there were were easily bribed. Once mounted, the wide, smooth stone top of the wall served as a sort of east-west highway, allowing invaders to make pretty good time. Subsequent dynasties continued the wall. 
Over 2,000 years of building, over a million laborers worked on the wall. The majority of the wall surviving today was built during the Ming Dynasty from the 14th to the 17th centuries. Archaeological surveys estimate it to be anywhere from 5,000 to 13,000 miles long, running along high mountain ridges, through deserts, and finally extending into the sea. 6,000 miles away and 400 years after the Ming Dynasty, in a California desert, the other man-made object you can see from outer space, an inland sea 15 miles wide and 35 miles long, was created by accident. When the forces of manifest destiny ran up against the Pacific Ocean, they started looking around for something more to do. They looked back over their shoulders and saw the Colorado Desert. The desert spreads out from the mountains east of San Diego to the Colorado River and from Palm Springs to the Mexican border. In 1896, a group of enterprising land developers saw all that cheap, unarable land and the mighty Colorado River flowing uselessly into the ocean and had an idea. They could divert the river into a series of canals, irrigating the desert and turning it into productive farmland. The climate could produce four harvests a year, creating the need for workers and towns and houses, all kinds of infrastructure. And these men of vision, these men of destiny, could build and sell it all. What could possibly go wrong? Forming the California Development Company, they built the canals to divert the Colorado River. As work progressed by 1900, they formed the Imperial Land Company to sell land to all the farmers and ranchers the irrigated desert would attract. They laid out five town sites, prepared thousands of acres for farming and ranching. Then they put up for sale signs. The desert was renamed the Imperial Valley to make it sound lush, attractive, and, you know, downplay the whole desert thing. Like Kin Shi Hong Di, they were creating something the world had never seen before. Theirs was an empire in the desert. Through force of their own will and moxie, they would make water stream through the desert and transform it into a lush, and profitable garden. The newly christened Imperial Valley was located in the Salton Sink, a geological area 200 feet below sea level. The depression is right on top of the San Andreas Fault, an active tectonic pull-apart zone, which means that the sink part of the Salton Sink is caused by the seismic activity actually pulling the Earth's crust apart. It probably sounds worse than it really is. Unless you think they are merely cynical, environment-hating capitalists, remember the calendar is still turning over from the 19th century to the 20th, and they had no idea that a desert was a fully functioning and necessary ecosystem. They just thought it was dirt. Besides, they had God on their side. Not only were they high on the rhetoric of manifest destiny, which drove men forward with the velocity of a meth head, a 20 clenched in his hand. Their vision had precedence. Isaiah, the greatest Old Testament prophet, seemed to speak to them. At the time the book Streams in the Desert 
was the most popular Christian devotional, written by Letty B. Kalman, who published under the name Mrs. Charles E. Kalman. Streams in the desert took its name from Isaiah 35.6. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. They weren't just trying to make a buck. They were up to something of biblical proportion. However, Isaiah's visions of streams in the desert was a metaphor for God pouring sustenance into the barren souls of God's children. And not, I don't think, an environmental engineering proposal. The company's chief engineer, R.C. Rookwood's vision, was to turn the barren land of the Salton Sink into the greatest irrigation project the world had ever seen. They laid out the network of small canals that would carry the water into the towns and individual farm plots, and then they got to work on the All-American Canal. This 80-mile-long canal would carry the diverted Colorado River to the Imperial Valley, where the subduing of the desert would begin. By 1905, the work was complete, and a considerable number of farmers and ranchers had already moved in, just waiting on that water to start their soil tilling, beef growing, and general prospering on the land. A date was set to throw the switch and open up the floodgates that would send the Colorado River leaping into the All-American Canal. A daze was built. Dignitaries were invited. The governors of California and Arizona were there, as was the governor of the Mexican state of Baja, California. Even President Teddy Roosevelt attended. A band played, speeches were given, and then the floodgates were opened. The Colorado rushed into the canal, and the rolling waters charged toward the Imperial Valley. Now this was the Colorado River, the river that carved the Grand Canyon, the river now swollen from a very snowy winter in the Rockies. Was it the engineer's failure to take these factors into account, or a much graver miscalculation? When the water reached the big bend in the canal, meant to divert the water south. The river did not stop. The river did not bend. The river did not turn. It smashed through the side of the All-American Canal and into the desert. Seeking the lowest point as any water will, the deluge flooded the lowest point to the Salton Sink, 226 feet below sea level, and started filling up the desert. God may have been speaking to the men of the Imperial Land Company through Isaiah, but they may have failed to read the whole verse. Sure, it said there would be streams in the desert, but the sentence before reads, water shall break forth in the wilderness. There's a difference between life-giving streams flowing into the desert after a rain providing sustenance in a scheme to divert one of the world's greatest rivers into the desert. It seems that Isaiah's prophecies covered both possibilities. The rushing water quickly carved a new bed in the dry soil straight to the center of the Salton Sink. The engineers of the California Development Company tried every possible method to close the break and get the river back on track, but everything they did easily washed away. 
The Southern Pacific Railroad finally got involved with miles of their main line through the Imperial Valley already underwater. They didn't want to lose any more. They built tracks up to the edge of the breach and filled boxcars with sand and ran them off the end, eventually closing the gap and diverting the river into the All-American Canal. By that time, it was 1907. The Colorado River had been filling up the desert for two years, creating a sea 15 miles wide and 35 miles long, nearly 80 feet deep. Even a body of water that big would eventually evaporate in the hot, dry desert. But the agricultural runoff from the irrigated land found its way into the Salton Sea, continually feeding it Colorado River water, although now it is mixed with chemical fertilizers and animal feces. Amen. <laughs>